All right. Good morning, Christchurch. Good to be with you this morning. Good to worship with you. Good morning to all of you following along online. Hello to you in the upper room as you worship as well. Good to have you with us this morning. We are on week two of a new sermon series that we are traveling through Lent. Uh, Lent is this historic tradition within the Christian tradition, handed down from generation to generation of Christians, leading up to Easter Sunday. Lent is this time, these weeks, where we pause and take a special measure of introspection, of reflection, of looking at ourselves, at our life, at this world, and most importantly, looking at our Christian faith, looking to better understand God, Jesus Christ, and what he's at work in our lives and how he's at work in this world. And so we're doing that as a church body. We're doing this Lenten experience together. And to help guide us along in this current series of Lent, we are looking at the DNA of Christianity. The DNA of Christianity. The hope is that by looking at the DNA of Christianity, we'll have a better sense not only of our Christian faith and our identity as individual Christians, but also as a church, because the DNA of Christianity is going to shape, inform, and influence the DNA of Christ's church, us as a community of faith. And so when you think of DNA, we're looking at the absolute essentials, the building blocks, the basic fundamental parts of our Christian faith. Last week, we kicked it off, and we kind of started, and the starting point is hugely important because where you start in regards to understanding the Christian faith will set a trajectory for the rest of our understanding of the Christian faith. And last week, we learned that Christianity best begins with... Nice. Okay, so for all of you guests, or this is your first time with us this morning, the answer is like Sunday school, Jesus Christ is the answer in this case. So I'm going to say this again, shout it out, you two in the upper room as well. Christianity begins with? Excellent. It begins with Christ. Christ is where? Our faith begins. It is where it starts. It is the fundamental, basic beginning point for us. The life, the death, and as we saw last week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is really the basic, fundamental starting point and sets the trajectory for the rest of our conversations related to Christian DNA. That is true for this morning as well. Christ now is the lens through which we look and understand the rest of our faith. We are going to be traveling through these other pieces of our faith, but we're always going to be doing that by looking to and seeking to better understand how Jesus talks about those parts of our faith. Another way to say it is like this for this morning. Christianity begins with Christ. So does our understanding of God. Our understanding and the way in which you and I talk about, think about, and relate to God actually begins not with God himself, but it begins with Jesus Christ. What Jesus says about God, what Jesus claims about God, what Jesus is trying to have us understand and embrace in relation to God. Now, the simple reality is that we as people in our world have been trying to get to know God apart from Jesus Christ for a long time. That's nothing new. We try to have an understanding of God when we look at our lives and most specifically when we look at the world. You in your life, as you grow up and as you have experiences, you try to make sense of life. And as part of making sense of life, you try to make sense of God. The way that you try to make sense of God is by drawing on your experiences and your experiences out in the world. You look at the world, you look at your life and what you've seen, 
what you've experienced, and you draw on that to really inform what God must be like. And that actually makes total sense that God has revealed parts of his character and his intentions, God's values, God's personality, God's temperament is actually revealed when you look at this world, when you look around, when you look at other people, and when you look out there in the complex and intricate way that the world is made. I mean, when you think about science, when you think about mathematics, when you think about the beauty of, of, of a flower, you begin to understand more fully who God is. Let me give it to you in a really simple way. You've probably all experienced this before. One of the best and most profound ways to have a sense of God is in nature. Okay? How many of you have ever had that moment in life where you wake up and, and you're in, in a natural place? You're in a park, you're on a vacation, you're, you're in the beach, you're in the forest, you're in the mountains. And as you look out, you are filled with this incredible sense of awe and wonder and, and just majesty. I mean, you feel like you're in a calendar picture. You know what I'm talking about? No one's ever had that experience before. Okay, everybody in the upper room, thank you for affirming me. They all did down here as well. Um, yeah, no, it's that moment where you're like, you're like, I can't believe it's like surreal. Like, wow, I didn't know things like this could even exist. And here I sit, here I stand in the middle of this wonderful and incredible place. And in that moment... It's almost like you have a sense of closeness to the divine, to God. You feel close and connected to his personality and his flavors and the way he works. And you seem to have a better understanding of who he is because you're looking around you and it's a divine experience. And that shapes and informs the way that you look at God. Even if you don't believe in God in that moment, you might at the very least begin to wonder, wow, maybe God might really exist. The Bible actually affirms this. The Bible says that nature and the world itself is a great place to go to begin to see and understand how God is at work in revealing himself. Check it out here. In Romans 1, it says it like this. It says, For ever since the world was created, ever since God made the world, created it, people have seen the earth and the sky. They've looked at the world around them. And through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. That this creator who created this creation actually displays himself in the creation itself. You can see his eternal power. You can see his divine nature at work. That way people, they don't really have an excuse for not knowing God because it's just so evident in the world that he created. But there's a problem with this. There's a challenge with this. You see, in so much as God made this world, created it, and we get a sense of who he is from looking at the world, the world is broken and messy. I mean, for, for the moments that you have mountains and rivers and waterfalls and just wonder and awe, you know what else you have? Earthquakes, tsunamis, mosquitoes. Disease, 
cancer. When you look at the world and you draw upon your experiences, you're looking through the lens of a broken, messy world. And so it's no wonder that you begin to have a broken and messy image of a perfect God. You're drawing upon what you know. And what you know is a mixture of wonderful, incredible moments in life and challenging, dark, discouraging moments in life. And as you sit as a person, as a human, and and you've all done this, the reason that we wrestle with the very existence of God and who he is is because we're trying to hold these two realities in tandem. We're trying to keep a grip on, on the wonderful moments in life and the dark moments in life. And frankly, it's confusing. We just get confused as we try to hold on to those pieces of our reality. And thus, our understanding of God gets confusing. Is God wonderful and majestic? Or is he uncaring? Is he out to get us? Is he like hiding behind the cloud with a lightning bolt, just waiting for that moment to surprise us and throw the lightning bolt? I mean, is he out to get us and to send us into some fiery furnace somewhere? ha. <laughs> And the reality is those images of God creep into our minds and they creep into our hearts as we begin to look and examine the broken world around us. And thus, our understanding of God himself and our ability to relate to him is confused. The Bible says things get so bad, things get so out of whack, things get so confusing for people that they actually stop worshiping God himself and start worshiping the creation around themselves. They start worshiping rocks and trees and idols. They start making things with their hands and calling that God because of how confusing this whole relating to God thing is. And as God is looking at this world spinning out of control in relation to him, he doesn't sit back uncaring and let it spin off into the universe. He does something about it. He steps close in the person of Jesus Christ to clear up the confusion He says, look, if you can't seem to understand who I am through this broken world, I'm going to show up in the flesh, in person. Here I am. This is who I am. You want to know my character? You want to know what I think? You want to know what brings me joy and what I aspire for? You want to know my heart and, and the way in which I look at people and this world at large? I will show up in person and make sure you truly understand who I am. And so that's exactly what he does in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ clears up all this confusion that we wrestle with in trying to understand God. I mean, when you have moments of struggle in your life, when you have moments when you're like really confused and you're looking at God, where are you and, and who are you, and you're trying to understand who he is because you're looking at your life and it really stinks right now, you look to Jesus Christ. You look to him 
Because there you will find who God really, truly is. Jesus himself makes this claim, makes this boast. His disciples are just like us. His disciples that walked with him 2,000 years ago in the flesh were his disciples to this very day. Those disciples asked questions about Jesus, saying, Jesus, you know, this whole God thing is kind of confusing for us. Could you just, just show us God? Just make things really clear to us. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus replies. One of his, one of his friends is asking this. His name is Philip, one of his disciples. You know, just show us, Jesus. Show us God. And Jesus replies, have I been with you this time, all this time, Philip, you, and you still don't know who I am? I mean, you can just picture, like, facepalm Jesus, right? Like, come on, Philip. Anyone who has seen me has actually seen the Father. Why, why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe? I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. I mean, when you look at me and when you think about what I think about, when you listen to my teachings and my words, when you see me, you've seen the Father. The words that I speak, they're not my own. These teachings that I'm coming up with and saying, this, this, isn't, this, is, this is the Father at work. It is my Father who lives in me who is doing his work through me. Just believe I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And if there's any confusion about who the Father is, Philip, just look to me. At the very least, Philip, at least believe that, I, that, that, that who the Father is and what his heart is like and what he's interested in this world based on the, the, the things that I've done, the works you've seen me do, these miracles, these healings, these forgiveness that I've extended, at least get a sense of who God is based on what I've done. Because when you live with me, walk with me, and listen to me, you are living and walking and listening to God himself. Because I've come to clear up the confusion. And all of a sudden, God moves from this sterile, confusing creator to something totally new and radical in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself will help reframe and really set a trajectory for the way in which we should think about God. He says, look, when you think about God, when you think about who he is and his character, the best way to understand him, the best way to relate to him, the best way to understand yourself and who he is and what the relationship between the two of you is like It is that of a father and a child. God is a father. And you, you are his child. In Matthew, one of the first-hand accounts of Jesus, the disciples ask Jesus, say, Jesus, teach us to pray to God. Teach us to relate to him. Teach us to talk to him. How should we talk to God? And Jesus says, oh, yeah, prayer, absolutely. Start like this. Our Father. You know, here at Christ Church, we actually say the Our Father every single week. We call it the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. Why? Why? Because, 
Because ingrained in our DNA is relating to God as our Father, our Dad, our Father. I'm a dad. How many dads do we have out there? Raise your hands, too, in the upper room. Yep, raise them up. How many dads? A lot of dads. Okay, a lot of dads. How many grandpas? We've got a bunch of grandpas. Nice. Lots of grandpas, too. Yeah, uh, I love being a dad. My, my two-and-a-half-year-old, she tells me two-and-a-half. She's learned that the half is important. I don't know how she learned that, but somehow she learned that. She made this. These are her handprints. Come on, you guys know, like, all the mugs and the plates and stuff to put the little hands and the little feet. And yeah, I'm just going to have, by the time I'm like 50, I'm going to have more dishes that I know what to do with because I'm going to save them all. You know what I'm saying? Because I love my daughters. Oh, I just love them. I cherish them. They're the best part of my day. I, I, you want to know how I wake up in the morning? Yesterday morning? No, day before. Well, yesterday morning was a stuffed animal to the face. The day before was, no joke, Beauty and the Beast, uh, artistic classic to the face. A book. That's a way to wake up in the morning. Wham! Hello, Daddy. Good morning. No joke. That's how I start my days. You know what? I love it. Like, like before I had kids, the buzzer went off, and I'm like, I need my coffee. Now I get hit with a book in the face, and I'm like, do you want to read that? You know, because I love seeing that you can't, I just can't be mad at this little, she wakes up, she's got like Einstein hair going on, she's got this big thing going, she's got a little Bambi outfit on, and she's adorable. I, I am blessed not only to have one, I actually have two kids, two daughters. There's a whole lot of estrogen in my house. It's great. You see, I had my first child, Annalise. I had my first one, Annalise, and, it, and, and I was there. I was there. I was part of this experience. I was in the room. I was up close and personal. Y'all feel me? Okay? So I was there, and the nurse, she, she, she picks up this, this, this child, this little blue alien, and turns to me and, and hands, him, hands my, my daughter to me, and I looked at her, and I said, oh, okay. No, I didn't do that. I was so nervous, I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm too scared. Don't I need, like, a license? Don't I need a crash course on this first? Like, I don't know that I can hold her yet. And the nurse is like, come on, you're like every new dad. Take the child. So I took the child. And you know what my first thought was? I'm going to drop her. Anyone else think that? Am I the only dad? Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was terrified. I had this little pink bundle. I looked down, she had a little pink hat on. The little hand is sticking out. Doesn't know what it's waving to. It's just doing this, you know. And I was holding her. And I looked at my child. Made in my image. She's got my eyes. She's got my nose. She's stuck with it. <laughs> Sorry. She's beautiful. And I cherish the time that I spend with her. And when I, when I thought that I could only love this one bundle this much, our second arrived, Eliana. Eliana Grace. She's now seven and a half months old. 
And I realized that I can actually love more than one child this much. I, can, I love both my daughters. I cherish time with them. Man, I embrace it. I got a man bag and everything. I got, the, I got the man bag. I got whatever you need. I got diapers. I got blankets. I got formula. I got Bambi figurines in there. I'm ready to go because I love being a dad. And I love being a dad because I love spending time with my children. And when I look at them, I want the best for them. Like, I don't, I don't just say that. Like, I genuinely mean that. I genuinely, hear, hear this as a father. I want the best for my child. At night, when we do our bedtime routines and all that stuff, they go down, we do a little routines, the bath, the diaper change, the whole bit. We finally get them down, and it's a good night for us. We actually do pretty well. We have a good routine down. What they don't know is that I actually sneak in their rooms well after they're asleep. I come in their rooms when they're asleep, and I sneak in there, and, and I just look at them. I do this every night, every night. My wife, what are you doing? Eventually, she just got it. It's part of my rhythm. It's part of me being a dad. I walk in there, and I pray over them. I, I, I pray over their future. I, I pray over their careers. I pray over their identity and who they are and the friends that they're going to make. I pray over their spouses already. I'm praying over their spouses. I'll take applications in 30 years, guys. I can make dad jokes because I'm a dad now. But I pray over them, and I want the most for them. Sometimes as a father, I have to say no because that's what's best for them. I mean... Give you an insight into how, how life works, right? I did all this theological study. I read all these big, thick books, years and years and years to get my Master's of Divinity right. I swear, my, my daughters have taught me as much as these big, thick books about God. And, it, and the theological revelation came when my two-year-old threw her first tantrum. You know what I'm about to say? You know what I'm saying? It's like that moment where they say no and they should have said yes, and they throw themselves on the... And they're like having like a little seizure, angry seizure thing. And in that moment, as I'm standing there, she's clearly upset. She's writhing on the ground. I realized I am God, and that's what I look like from God's perspective. No! Come on, you all done that. You know what I'm saying, right? You ever throw a tantrum with God? Been there, done that. Ever got a no from God? Yeah. Ever trust that God has your best interests at heart? Ever think about the way in which your heavenly Father relates to and looks at you? The, the sense of pride that he has in you and your accomplishments in life. What you've done, the person that you are. The way in which you, you walked into your first day of work. The way that he cried and, and was overjoyed when you walked down the aisle and how beautiful you looked. 
the way in which he was with you in those most difficult and challenging moments. You call your dad when you blow the tire and you're on the side of the road and God's like, I'm there too. I'm right there with you. We're going to get through this. I'll coach you through it. The joy and the satisfaction that God has when he looks at you in your life. The fact that when you sleep, God comes into your room and enjoys your company and prays and blesses you as you rest because he loves you. I'm an imperfect father. My kids are stuck with me. I make mistakes. I won't do this dad thing perfectly. But I just shared a bit of what it's like from my heart to be an imperfect dad. Can you imagine what a perfect heavenly father must be like? Can you imagine what he sees when he looks at you, his child? He loves you. And he cares for you. Because he's your father. Romans 8 says like this, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you, when you became part of his family. This is in the waters of baptism where we are joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. That's kind of the formal adoption process by which now we become God's children. And we call him now Abba, Father, Dad. One of the basic and yet most important parts of our faith as a Christian people is understanding God not simply as a creator, but even more so, God is your Father. Your loving, good, good Father. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we name you as our Father, our Dad. What a privilege it is to know you and to lift our hearts before you, to speak with you as a Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to clear up the confusion. Thank you for teaching us that you are not just simply a sterile, far-off creator, but a close and personal father who's invested in our well-being and the well-being of this world at large. Lord, we don't always get it right, Father. Sometimes we slip into those old images of who you are. 
And yet I ask and I pray, keep calling us back to a right understanding of you as a good, good Father. I ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.